reconciliation has to be a priority in your first footstep out the front door. Right? And again, people want to make change. Right? Even the new government, you know, if they spent more time connecting the community as they do on advertising themselves all the time, you know, again, you know, that's what, and that's what, it, that's what reconciliation should be. Right? You know, don't do something just because you want Indigenous votes. Don't do something because you want community votes. Or, you know, what are you going to offer to change someone's mind from a Liberal or, you know, National or wherever it is, another party, hey, you know, show people. You know, show people that you mean real reconciliation. I'd like to dedicate this song. Hello friends and welcome to another conversation through our Take Me to the River podcast. I'd like to begin by respectfully acknowledging the traditional owners of the country on which we're meeting. For me it's the Ngunnawal people around the ACT. I acknowledge the land that we work, live, celebrate and live on has deep history and I pay my respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and to their elders past, present and future. Each day I value their knowledge, insights and connection to the rivers, creeks, wetlands and billabongs we love and care about. Our podcast today is with friend Richie Allen. Richie comes from Camilleroy and Ngunnawal Nations and is co-director of the Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation, which is based on Ngunnawal land in Canberra. This is one of those conversations that I've been looking forward to for a long time, as Richie's been involved in helping the Australian River Restoration Centre develop its Reconciliation Action Plan. He's also painted a beautiful artwork called River Dreaming, and we focus on this when we're thinking about what we want to do in terms of our actions for reconciliation. This year's Reconciliation Week marks 55 years since Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians were formally recognised in the Australian Census, and 30 years since the Australian High Court delivered its ruling on the Mabo case, paving the way for legal recognition of Indigenous Australians as custodians and owners of their land through native title. Today we're talking to Richie about what reconciliation means to him, and how we might, through our individual and organisational actions, continue along a path of recognising, respecting and reconciling our past with the future and how each of us can contribute to reconciling Australia. G'day Richie, it's lovely to have you joining us today for the podcast. Um, I've wanted to talk to you for ages ever since you did that beautiful painting for us called River Dreaming. But before we get to that, I want to start by asking you about really where you come from and who you are and sort of what you're doing at the moment in your work uh, here around the ACT and Surrounds. Awesome, and thanks for having me. And first of all, like I said, I'd like to pay my respects to the Ngunnawal ancestors, elders, and the Ngunnawal people, mm. and thank them for the contribution they make to the to the lives of the trees, the water, the plants, the animals. And uh, pretty lucky every day to 
to work and walk upon Ngunnawal country. And I spent the last 22 years of my life um, dedicated to, to improving the, the land and the water and the ancestral footprints that were left behind in this beautiful country. And again, growing up between you know, mum's country, which is the Ngunnawal, and my dad's country, the, the Camilleroy people. That you know, we spent uh, probably a lot of time in dad's country and learn about dad's country. And you know, I had an opportunity to come down here to mum's country, um, as we'd been doing our whole life. But I come down from you know, different reasons. I come down and play sport, professional sport <laughs> for that, and had um, three years of, of professional sport here. And I had you know, seven years before that in Sydney. and and um, yeah, it's a, it was amazing. And I, I think it was the opportunity when I got here that, you know, how I suppose um, much I took it for granted and didn't learn as much about it, mum's country. So yeah, so I made the conscious decision to stop playing sport professionally and, and dedicate my life to now to, to learning about mum's country that and you know, arose from that, you know, again, I suppose, educating my, myself in the Western world too and what best practice to, to deliver to, to everyone, you know, non-Indigenous people, to get them to see the, the land and, and everything from our eyes mm. and hear what's out there from our ears. Mm. And, again, that's what I've been doing and, out of, like I said, all that you know, came, you know, the two, the two uni degrees. Mm-hmm. And now I suppose come out of that was, you know, TOAC. Mm. Yeah, which uh, again now is across many different sectors. That, and, you know, that's, that's a part of what I do every single day now. And, so TOAC um, stands for um, Traditional, Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation. Yeah. And that's your business, isn't it? Yeah, it's like you said, it was started off as a, a volunteer corporation first that operated under cultural law. And what did, yeah. what, what did that mean? Like how, how is it different to other organisations? Um, like you said, again, it's, it's us following cultural protocols when we're doing stuff, trying to get others to follow cultural protocols. You know, again, when you... When you're digging up a piece of dirt, you know, what are the protocols that our people did, that not all people did, you know, when they dug up dirt, you know, what, where to build, you know, respect in the land, what goes there? You know, again, we have the infrastructure and, you know, Canberra, they, they like to call it the bush capital. But as we know now, looking at it, really, is it the bush capital? Um, so... It's like, okay, well, you know, again, what does what defines the word bush? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, again, and as we can see, the many trees that are being desecrated and the even the culling now of the you know fifteen hundred kangaroos. Mm-hmm. That, you know, again, you know, it's it's a world that's unknown to the Western Western eyes and the Western brain, the thinking. You know, and land management plans. And as we can see in the world now, like I said, especially here in Australia with the water flowing, you know, and again, you know, you can't control it, something that you don't know about. 
when when you talk about bush, what does bush bush mean to you? Well, I like to you know describe it like as we do, your mother earth, not the bush. Mm. Now we treat every everything around us as a living thing, and in that living thing, and and you know as a heart, and it gives off something. And then when it gives off something, we have to provide something back for that. And we only take so much as what we need. Today is so fast paced that, you know, bush for me, when, you know, you hear about the bush now, especially here in the, the ACT, that means money. Because as we can see and we drive through, it's getting less and less spaces. So uh, as, as, a, as a city, how can you call yourself the bush capital when, you know, again, when we, we talk about being the bush capital, you would probably never see sky rises. You'd just see houses, but again, houses that are, are spread out. Now, let's cram thousands and thousands of people in, in one area and then still get the infrastructure wrong. <laughs> But again, I always say, like I said, you know, through those suburbs, through the city, they're all like a, it comes back to a river. You know, again, when we build the rivers, you know, back from the dream time and the rainbow serpents did they build them so they flow every day. And if that flow doesn't come through your city or your town or suburb, then it's going to stop flowing, and the, which creates many different issues. That, you know, we don't have flowers to blossom, which means we don't have people to thrive and flourish. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, again, we compact them in so much that we want to put fences around and say, hey, this is my property. That you can't come onto my property. And in reality, nobody owns Mother Earth. And again, for Mother Earth to work and regenerate, she has to give the Father Sky. And again, it comes back to that water. The less spaces we have, the less water that goes up. The less water that goes up, the less rain that comes down. You know, and again, the, you know, I was just talking to somebody like an engineer about, you know, about the land and, and the water a minute ago and you know, one thing I reflected upon was, like I said, you know, even if you change Mother Earth's degrees by 0.000 all the way back to 1%, then that's something that you know, is going to change everything because you can't, you can't live within a society or, or humans can't live, again, without water. You know, our, our bodies rely on water. Mother Earth's body relies on water. You give it too much, though, and again, you drown many things, the plants, the animals, the spaces where we're supposed to walk through. You, know, you manipulate the, the land and build it up so water doesn't flow. You're going to be in trouble because you know, she's going to go, well, well, you know what? You can build it up, but it's still going to rise above because that's what water does finds a way through absolutely and you know and, it, and it's funny i saw this here uh, 
there was a professor in, in the in the university and he put a he put a jar down and then he put golf balls in the jar. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Please yeah, continue. He puts, yeah. Golf, he puts golf balls in the jar. And then he asks the students, is that is that um is that jar full? And students go, yes, it is. So then he puts sand in. Is that jar full? And I say, yeah, now it is. But then he puts pebbles in and says to him, is this jar full? And they say, well, yeah, now it really is like that. But then what's the next thing you can add? Mm. Is water. Water. So, and that's what, again, I think land management plans and, and things in life are, is we all have a role to play. And, I mean, the cultural world is an aspect that's, you know, been going for over 100,000 years. You know, and, again, science dates us back, living back through two ice ages mm. where Mother Earth's had enough of everybody and gone like, you know what, I need to replenish myself. So here's what I'm going to do. And, and our people that, and I use a phrase all the time like that, especially in the, the Western world, is that in the Western world, the ultimate dream is to buy a piece of Mother Earth, build our dream home on it, and flourish for the rest of our lives. The ultimate dream in in Indigenous cultures is to spend your whole life proving to Mother Earth that we belong to her. So when a journey up here is finished, we we go back and be part of her. It's you know, so it, different, Richie. It's just it, so different. It is, and I suppose that's that's where you know my work and things that I do with you and, and other organisations and companies and businesses and governments is try to get them to look at that perspective because we would all flourish if we learned to belong to Mother Earth. So you were saying earlier that you had a career in sport. Was that, um, was that rugby or what was the league. sport? Rugby yeah, league. league, okay. So I played professional footy for, for a while. Wow. That was one of my sort of things I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, at that stage of your life, um, were you thinking about this sort of connection with Mother Earth or was that something that came as you got older because you were saying, no, you know, you then got to know this country here, this no, Ngunnawal country? My, most of my younger days, like I said, I grew up in an Aboriginal mission called Waholo. Right. Yeah, and it's, like I said, out in the Doonestay Forest, um, up in the Camillary lands. Um, and... You know, I went to primary school there and the mission school where every there was about 24 of us and every single one was my brother, sister or cousin <laughs> for that. So which was, for me was amazing. And, you know, it was surrounded by the river, surrounded by the Duna State Forest. You know, and again, playing outside was the ultimate thing. Like that, when you want to, when they caught, yeah, mum and dad caught us to go inside, you were, you know, get angry because you didn't want to go inside that and that's again that's where you know all those the cultural things that we did were just norm and were you uh, allowed to do that even though it was a mission 
Like, or were, yeah, did yeah, you have yeah, to comply yeah. with particular? Was there another no. religious overtone, or you were allowed no, to? No, because yeah. yeah, because sorry, because they um again after sixty seven the referendum, again the missions in New South Wales got a lot more better, for that, and they were run by the the communities of that still had the churches and that there and still mm -hmm. preaching their you know, their Western gods. But again, they were formed and again, you know, growing up, you know, you hear about the Western God, but as I reached that certain age, I, it was back to our spirituality for me. Yeah. And that's yeah. again, you know, you, you, you do it in the Western world because again, I had to learn about the Western world to, to use the ultimate where I am today, where you walk in two worlds and, Again, growing up very strong with my dad's culture and, and my mum's culture, I said, again, I didn't learn as much as mum's culture as I did dad's. And that's why, like I said, again, now, like I said, I'm, I'm learning about mum's culture. I, I want to share that culture. I, I share, like I said, dad's world, mum's world, and, and put that into the Western world and get people to understand that here's what things are. Here's the way they should be. I think what's interesting is that for for the majority of us in the West, I think we kind of think that Aboriginal culture must just be the same, whether you're Wiradjuri or you're Gamilaroi or Nonawal. But 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 from what you're saying, they're quite different. You're saying you're you're walking in two worlds between Western and Aboriginal, but you're you've also got Gamilaroi and Nunawal there. So how does that work for you? Are, are there really big differences between your yeah, massive mum and difference. dad's country? Okay, can yeah, you tell me more about cultural, that? The cultural differences, the cultural laws are different and yeah. what you can and can't do, what I can and can't eat. Really? Uh, yeah. So like I said, you know, you can't eat your totems. So, you know, I've got dad's, you know, tree goanna. I've got mum's, um, mum's wedgetail eagle, but also... The moiety totem, spirit totem is the bogan moth, you know, and again, you know, you can't eat those things and on special occasions you can, but not the main totems. But again, you know, you've got dad speaking one language, mum speaking another language, that, and again, knowing that the cross borders like that, you know, because it's like from here, it's, you know, six and a half hours away, seven hours away back up in northwest New South Wales, dad's country. Yeah, but, you know, thankfully, like I said, I've, my whole life, it was, it was, it's just all about culture. And I, and I think in the Western world now, it's, it's my, I suppose it's my, how can I put it, duty or it's my obligation to, to get people to you know, stop looking at it. I mean, it's Australia, many different countries like anywhere between 250 to 500 different countries. Yeah. And then you break it down into clan groups. So again, there's thousands. And again, knowing that when you cross a body, they're speaking a different language. So again, this is how do you get people to understand that? How do you get people to understand that, you know, the, the history of the land is different when you cross the border and they cultivate a different that they are they treated the system whether it's five six two ten seasons and you lived in that that environment and i think you know the way you know bruce pascoe so eloquently eloquently put it 
for that. Now, now he he used words from the from the European first Europeans that come here. Now these are words like that. You know, agriculture, farming, you know, scientists, doctors. It was already here. That you know, again, they just tried to put a and still try to put a Western perspective over it. For that, and you've got to do it this way. Why? Because it's the way of the future. Well, no, this is the way of my people and the future for my people should the way they should do it. And again, can you imagine saying to um, like, you know, religions to that, oh, that's not the proper way to do it. Here's the way to do it. Right. You know, they have their own beliefs. They have their own culture, so to speak, in their religion. That, And it's funny that and I even I was only talking to someone last week about you know why is an Aboriginal spirituality classed as a as a religion? We have all these other religion, but the world does not class the oldest living culture in the world, their spirituality as a religion. But how, how do you like I, I am always constantly amazed because you're you're so wonderful to work with and you, you know, because I'm always frightened of upsetting um, Aboriginal people or saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing because I do have this legacy of, of guilt for what's happened in the past, really. Um, but you're so generous um, and open with people like us who are, who are trying, but it must be so hard on a daily basis to come against prejudice or even if it's unintended how do you how do you manage that how do you navigate life with with such such a lot that's still there that needs to change i think it's uh, again it comes back to i suppose how i grew up you know, how grounded i am with my with my family every day that we do things and you know what what i've seen from my eyes and heard from what my ears uh, and and again not everybody you know we not everybody wants reconciliation not everybody wants to see it from our world and look that's fine and the thing is like i said you know the new generation y's and the x's and the z's that are coming <laughs> they they want to learn they want to know, you know, the positive things and they want to know about our culture and our language and our laws right? because they see themselves as Australians. And as Australians, this is their history. Mm. Aboriginal culture belongs to them because it's a part of Australia. Mm. So, again, you know, learning from other cultures around the world is okay, but... They, they want to learn you know, the, the footprints that are embedded you know, over 100,000 years ago. And if I'm looking at that footprint, what am I looking at? That Because I want to put my footprint on top of that footprint. And then I want their grandkids and generation and next generation and next generation to embed that as well. So for ones like myself, it's, you know what, I get excited. That and if I get excited, it, it warms my heart. If it warms my heart, we want to share that. And again, how can I eradicate you know, racial profiling, racism, and again that I suppose that scaredness inside you 
How are we going to take that out if I don't educate you? You're so right. You know, I've noticed like my son is 19 and he um, did Aboriginal, some Aboriginal history at school in terms of, you know, settlement and what happened and actually did do some Aboriginal culture. And he um, is going up to the um, commemorative event that they hold for the Mile Creek Massacre every year. Mm -hmm. And he's going up to play and... You know, he's just bought a new uh, jumper of Clothing the Gap, which is an Aboriginal firm, and he knows in himself what it means to him. Um, And I I think that's a huge generational change from my generation in our 50s who really weren't given any... I didn't get any Aboriginal history at school. Um, So I think that the generosity of you and other people talking to the younger, younger people has made a huge difference already. That, that's my personal experience anyway. I don't know if you, if you find the same. No, I, I agree with that. And again, I see it in my, again, I see it in my own kids. Yeah. You know, their friends and again, their friends and, you know, their friends are friends and like that. And again, the work we do, we find that so important that, you know, when we run courses and we get people to understand our cultural winner courses or our education things that, you know, we want you to ask those questions because if you don't ask those questions, then how are you going to get educated about things? And so much negativity is put on our culture through, you know, TV and social media and even, like I said, the older generations. You know, so much is, is put on that, that, again, you know, someone's sitting around the table, and all of a sudden someone starts talking about it and, okay, well, how are you going to tap them on the shoulder if, Again, you know, you're not educated, but when you are educated and we've taught you about it, then that tap on the shoulder becomes different because you go, oh, well, actual fact, you know, here, I, these things that I've done and these people that I've connected to, this is what's going on. Mm. And it's not to embarrass the person, but it's to challenge that person who actually said it to get the right information, you know, yeah. to learn about the new things, mm. the information they have, and, you know, again, pass that on. Mm that because I, like, I, I always love to challenge people uh, and I'm not saying I know you know I'm I'm an expert or I know everything like that because if I don't know something in the either, either western world or the cultural world and I ask yeah uh, because that's the only way that I'm going to get the truth mm. and again that's what we have to do we have to truth tell about Aboriginal culture first mm. and then let that f- river flow down to where we are today I love that idea of that that flow of knowledge being like a river. So, as we go into Reconciliation Week, what what does reconciliation mean for you? I mean, obviously, it's not just happening one week of the year. But when you think about reconciliation, what 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 would you talk about it as involving? Me, I I just talk. You got to make things real. And um, tell me more about that. Yeah. You like I said every sing, every day. Is, rec- is reconciliation day. Now, again, when you, when you get up in the morning, walk out that front door, reconciliation has to be a priority in your first footstep out the front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, people want to make change. Uh, even the new government, you know, you know they, mm-hmm. if they spent more time connecting the community as they do on advertising themselves all the time, now, again, yeah. 
that's what and that's what it, that's what reconciliation should be. Mm. Uh, you know, don't do something just because you want Indigenous votes. Don't do something because you want community votes. Or you now, what are you going to offer to change someone's mind from a liberal or you know national or wherever it is? Another party, hey, you know, show people, mm. you know, okay. show people that you mean real reconciliation. And doing a reconciliation action plan is not just a, a document that collects dust on your shelf or in this little folder called reconciliation action plan. You know, on your computers, collecting dust. <laughs> For that, you know, again, make it a priority. You first step out of your front door. Yeah. And when that first step, when you walk inside your house through that front door, you, know, you feel the same when you left to when you come back and you've made a change. Uh, and, you know, that's not just one day of the year. That's 365 and 66 days a year. Uh, because unfortunately... Racial profiling, racism, never sleeps. That, that's 365, 366 days a year. Yeah. 52 weeks a year. Mm. That now and again, unless you make it a priority in your business to do it every day in your business, yeah. then you now again, it, I'm not saying it's a, a ticker box things, but from the outside of looking at people when they're doing stuff, unfortunately, it is a ticker box for that. And we all have an obligation because we are all Australians. doesn't matter what colour you are, what race or religion or gender. For that, you know, we all have an obligation for reconciliation and we all want to flourish. And the only way to do that is we work together as a community. That we understand each other's footprints. That you know, and when one only one footprint sits up top for that and says, I am the master class, you know, like that. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. And whether you're the CEO or the janitor at your work, you should always be treated the same. Because you all have a job to do. And again, take that philosophy out in community. That you know, but unfortunately, these days people want to put, oh yeah, the upper class, the middle class, socio socioeconomic low income people, and we're so quick to put labels on things that. that why? Yeah. As you said that, I was instant instantly thinking about you know the labels that we we put on people, and then that completely. Um, colours the way that we interact with that person. So, so when you go into organisations, because I know you work with lots of different organisations and you advise them on things like a reconciliation <clears throat> action plan, is, is each plan different depending on the organisation, depending on sort of where they're at in terms of getting real about we, we, doing this? Yeah, what we do is we actually assess how far along you are in your journey. Mm. Like I said, again, we worked with one company that who has 500 staff and they were on a reflect wrap. And they, you know, when we questioned them and, and gave them this, did a survey for them about, you know, what does reconciliation mean? And, 
and it was just an open and honest um, you know, survey. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to highlight to them that you know we were they were aiming for five percent people for that. Um, we were aiming for ten. You know, yep. of feedback. We ended up getting twenty percent of people you know, filled out the survey. Now, and again, it was it was anonymous, so everybody had the same login. And it just went through when you submitted it went through to us and then we wrote a report and you know some and there was some lots of negative comments in there it's a waste of time you know these people don't want reconciliation and you know again the labeling that went on and the words used that was was great for for us because we had highlighted the fact that you know work needed to be done in there you know, and they had a they had a reconciliation action plan working group. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like I said, that was had zero authority for a meeting for what we call um, for I like to call cat, yeah, coffee and tea. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and again, nobody was accountable for the actions not being done. Mm. You know, but we and then we have you know one. Like another a business, they're in private business, that firm, and and they're already doing reconciliation and adding cultural stuff to to their everyday you know, business that they were doing. And she goes, "No, I want to do better." So again, we helped them write the rap and you know form the reconciliation action group and the, and the survey and did all of them and and they were they were fair way into their journey. Mm. That. And mm. we just support them to go higher. And she goes, "What else can we do?" that so and for me i was just like oh man and they want to they want to do it they want to close gaps they want indigenous culture to be recognized in everything they do well that's certainly what we're trying to do and um you know that's one of the reasons you've helped us with our wrap and we've We've submitted it for for approval, but um, yeah, we, we looked through it the other day, and we've actually pretty much achieved it already. So we're hoping to move on to the next one <laughs> with your help and guidance, of course. <laughs> I know, and I think that was one of the exciting things. I mean, working with Laurie for a long time. Yeah. That is that like user, you know, already had all these things ticked off, but it but it goes to show you Joe, that. When you do make it a priority, like I said, again, it makes makes others and challenges others. Like I said, you know, again, we're already doing a wrap. Although you didn't need a wrap, you're still making it a part of everyday business. And again, that's where I, I think, you know, your little river by that is alive and healthy. And again, has those cultural burns along the side. So lets the water flow and there's plenty of fish and, and yabbies and, you know, every other mammal that or amphibian that goes in there, already in there, making it thrive. And that's where, again, the positive flow of, of your influences, that's had influences on Reconciliation Australia. Mm. Because now, like I said, you know, they'll probably use you as an example. Well, oh, hang on. They already got a wrap. They did all these things years over the years. They just haven't submitted it. And they'll probably come back and go, well, why didn't you submit it? So we can highlight what you're doing and then move you up to the next rap like that. And you're like, well, you know, that's not what it's about. Mm. And we've achieved all these things because we did make it a priority and we did want to feed this river to make it healthy. 
We certainly do. We really do. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it really... So, so Laurie Gould, for our listeners, um, manages our on-ground work at the River Restoration Centre. And she and Richie have been involved in lots of collaborations from yarning circles through the Bush Tucker Gardens through to the Reconciliation Action Plan. Um, and for us, it's been fantastic. It, well, it is fantastic having Laurie with us because she is able to make us feel more comfortable about doing this work with you and to feel confident that we can ask you questions that we think you'll probably think are a bit silly, but we'll do it anyway because we know we've got that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it's about. You know, having those conversations to make you feel more comfortable and creating a river that is safe for you to swim in. Mm. And that's what it's about. Mm. That, again, if that river's flowing, that's when we know you're doing good for that. And that's when, as an in, you know, like I said, a normal person like that, I just sit back and go, well, how can someone, like a, an organisation like yours, something so small, be ahead of something like someone with you know, 500, 500 employees? <laughs> that, And you think amount of money they, they have, like, you know, you're talking about, hundreds of millions of dollars that would be my dream Richie I'd love to have hundreds of millions of dollars (laughs) yes but you know in reality like I said money can't fix problems do you know you're right there even as I said that I thought to myself you know what that's that's you being inauthentic because in actual fact we haven't sought lots and lots of money because we've wanted to stay true to what we believe in and and also to manage our own destinies so you know as soon as you have other people come in to tell you what to do then you can't do do it the way you want to do it you know what I mean so yeah isn't that interesting though it's 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 still that thing of people think lots of money is the way to go but maybe it's not not that much at all I, Mm. I was thinking in terms of having a bigger impact I guess but that would necessitate a really big change in our organisation if we if we did get that sort of money. And yeah. you know what? I think then too is that let's look at, um, let's use the Malongla River down there. Uh, to, to fit their narrative, they had to turn block it off and then turn it into this you know, wonderful lake mm. <laughs> that, again, has so many infrastructure problems it has so much conservation problem mm-hmm. that and it doesn't have that flow hence why the green algae and every other disease gets in it you're absolutely right and and we we are actually just starting to push a new campaign for the upper murrumbidgee because snowy hydro and tantangara dam take 90 percent of that river's flow and most people don't even realize that uh, and that poor river is it's dying um, you know that's exactly that I guess a dam is a is a very good real representation of what happens when you block that flow and you know as you speak your your voice is just so lovely and lyrical and it it's a voice that flows and so the flow of knowledge and the flow of the river we can see how those dams if you like those blockages have happened throughout so much of our shared history Absolutely. And again, you know, that's where we need to assess things like you know, the undertow of the flow. Mm. That, you know, the rips of the rivers need to be raging to keep that healthy 
I suppose there's healthy rocks and there's healthy dirt and those which means healthy you know fish like that and again also providing for the trees that surround it and you know again they introduce trees in that just again just not made for these areas oh but gums are two things no gums are bad if you take away their water source because then they start to die off and then they fall you know again you can imagine you know the ancestors looking back and and going like oh you know what Maybe we should drop all the trees down. But, you know, and that's where I, I think the cultural aspect has to be a priority in people's business. Yep. You know, when something's written, have people at the table at the start. Mm. Don't write something and then put it out for comment. <laughs> you know, and again, that's how you that's how you get true, I suppose, the true identity of culture into everything you do. Right. And you know, if our people did that years and years ago and, you know, and even like now, you know, sharing the, the sharing of the, the knowledge, you know, it's a privilege that you know, our people want to share the knowledge and do it with open arms. Mm. And when those arms are extended out and they're open, you know, I think that's where non-Indigenous people need to go and do the same. So when you when you talk about knowledge as well, it, it's so much broader than just something written down or just the oral word. And I'm thinking here about um, the beautiful artwork that you created for us called River Your River Dreaming. When did you find out that you could could paint? I mean, is that Mother Earth coming through you? How how did that oh, express? Yeah, that? that's something yeah. we used to do as kids. Like that right. and how we yeah. painted painted you know. And before you're born, you yeah. you paint on your bodies. And that. Yes. You paint on, you paint on the, I suppose the roads and trees and and things like that. And again, I never knew what painting meant until I said I had a I had a good art teacher in, in high school, that that made me, again, and even one of my major projects in that, was, like I said, our our cultural poles. That and recreating them, and again, I did plaster on my face and stuck it on the poles to represent um, represent our people. Right, you know, and that's what they're doing. They're putting our our faces on poles, but not hearing the uh, and had closed mouths. So again, it was there to say, "Hey, this is what you're doing to us." The poles are talking and representing the trees, the water, the rocks, the sand, the dirt. You know, the flowers, the animals, you know, every living thing out there was that's what that's what they were doing. Mm. You know, and she like inspired me to do that. And I was just like, and from there, like I said again, it was just like, oh man, that's where I sort of a light bulb moment went, like, yeah, what? I'll probably take this further and further and further. And pretty much that's what I've been doing my whole life now. Like, yeah. you, know, you just translate these stories into artworks. And again, I like to paint with my Again, like our people did things that are out there and even my creating things with my fingers. Yeah. That artworks. And you know, again, looking, I look at you know landscapes and I go, oh man, wouldn't it be cool to have you know three or four colors just sitting in my hand and then seeing it, you know, going across the canvas and all of a sudden it mixes and adds colors that you, know, you didn't see were there. 
that and then has I suppose roads when you swish it around and just play with it it's you know that's what our people did out on the land so do you have a do you have a time when you do this or does the mood come across you and you need that outlet or how does it happen for you it just like I said I I could be driving and like I said again you know pondering about and going into I said driving especially driving around Ngunnawal country I just see something and feel something that just comes to me mm. and I have to stop. Mm. And then I have to, like I said, again, you know, reflect upon that and write words down that, you know, what I, what I hear that and what, what I see. It's weird because you like said, what do you mean? You see, see words. And I'm like, yeah, I see words that come to me and that. And then when I get home or somewhere, go to a coffee shop or wherever it is. And I just, like I said, again, I'll just do a drawing of it, what those words are and reflect on what I've seen yeah. that. And then all of a sudden, like I said, that translate into an artwork. That's a full sensory experience really, isn't it? Cause it's all, it it's is. the whole of you. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. It's like, again, and we've all probably experienced like where mm. we're in that moment where you, again, you can just, and you just probably do it with the rivers. Mm. You can see a, you know, a, a dead river, but when you look at it, you probably don't see a dead river. You go, you know what? I see a river that's flowing and, you know, here's what we're going to do to it like that. And that's the, again, writing that down and putting in a submission go, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. That because again, you're, you're in that moment of looking at the water and go, oh, you know what? This could be this. Yes. Yes. It, it, it is retaining, retaining that hope. And, and also I think one of the, one of the things for, for us to think about when we, look at reconciliation as well it's not something that just happens once as you said it's it's every day and you need to take that longer term view because it's it's absolutely the same with rivers you know they they're going to take a very long time to restore and we've got to protect the ones that are in good condition Um, and it's kind of like let's protect those relationships that are working well and build on them rather than focusing on the the areas that are always needing more and more it's also nurturing the good so i i feel that your work with us nurtures the good in us i I like to think that so that we can feel confident to do more and and i guess reconciliation week is a bit like that like the the um tagline for it is be brave and make change what would you suggest someone do who who maybe doesn't feel that they've ever done anything before towards reconciliation what sort of things can they do to be brave and, and actually make change? I, I think it's, like I said, starting their cultural journeys. Mm. Um, be brave to start your cultural journey. And don't be scared. Don't, don't worry about getting it wrong. Mm. Right? You know, at least you're having a go. Yeah. You know, and wanting, wanting a relationship with Indigenous peoples, that, that again, through your sphere of influence with water, Again, to make the, the change, to have that water flowing like that, you have to do certain things. And you will get it wrong. And again, you just got to take a step back and go, hang on, what did, how did that go wrong? And assess things like that, because that's what our people did. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, they knew that the animals played an important role in the environment. And soil conservation, bedongs. Oh, it's just an animal, bedong. For that, but it's not, it's a soil conservation. That they have a point role to, to keep digging the dirt up, but also they dug the dirt up so that 
you know, our people can get all these bold, you know, chocolate lilies and truffles and yam daisies out because they've got a good sense of smell and smell them out. Yeah. And there's food for that. But again, doing the conservation, the agricultural, the dirt as well, why they did it. Because, you know, the, the kangaroo grasses then got spread out the seeds. That. Yeah. And again, you've got to be brave enough to do that. Mm. And if you're not that, then you know, jump in a support role until you are. That's great advice. Take take the opportunity that's there, but but don't um, don't do it if it makes you that uncomfortable. Just do something. Go as you say. To go be a support. Just read something. Go and visit someone. Learn more. It is, and relationship building is you know, should be the emphasis of everything we do, because mm. mm. that's you know, that's the the key to everything. Yeah. You don't build a relationship with. You know, indigenous people, you're not going to know what their world is. And you'll always sit back and go, oh, yeah, you know, feel uncomfortable about it when those conversations come up. Mm. But if you have a relationship with them and you learn and educate yourself about it, then those uncomfortable conversations at family parties or the clubs or sporting events like that, all of a sudden, you know, you stand up and tap people on the shoulders. Mm. And that's mm. what it's about, you know, relationship with the water. Mm. Any way to to have it flowing properly and have that water flourish is you have a relationship with it. You, then you understand it and it educates you of what to add in me, you know, what add in that water, the, the key elements in there for that. And I think that's where, again, we get those relationships right and it comes a lot of, you know, it's, it's the trunk of the tree. I love that idea that trunk of the tree and and we've used you know in talking to you I feel like I'm sitting next to a river and and your words are washing over me like I feel like I've been in flow just listening to you because your your voice is so calm and and it, it I don't know I just get a picture of a river just gently you know doing its thing just rolling by and we're sitting on the riverbank as you as you talk to me um it's been fantastic talking to you, Richie. I, I really appreciate you taking this time. And um, for any of our listeners, I'll, I'll put down uh, a link to uh, the Traditional Owners Aboriginal Corporation where Richie works. And, and we'll also put a picture of the beautiful artwork that, that Richie provides for us. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners just as we bring our conversation to a close for, for Reconciliation Week, Richie? I think, as uh, again, one key element is belong to the river belong to the land that surrounds the river, mm. belong to the trees that belong to the land. Mm. And then that way, those relationships are, are built. So next time you're out there, you'll understand the sense of belonging as opposed to the sense of trying to own something. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Really, really, thank you so much. Um, and I hope listeners you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have thank you Richie thank you see ya